Hello, a very warm welcome and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth. I'm your host, John Martin, and today our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, brings us the fifth programme in this series, which is called Knights of Old. Recently, I was faced with the question, is the Bible relevant today? The person who asked the question was probably thinking about the amount of time which has elapsed since the most recent book in the Bible was written, and that's almost 2,000 years. The Bible is, however, more popular today than ever and outsells all other books because it is relevant to today and to every age. The teaching of the Bible always fits the reality of unchanging human nature. It also deals with the problem of mankind being at enmity with God because of sin, and it provides the remedy. The Bible meets this true need of people, which every other belief and religion in the world fails to answer. This is the 90th year of our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II's uh, life, and her coronation, and every coronation of a British monarch for that matter, a Bible is presented It was presented to her and every monarch with these words. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law, and these are the lively oracles of God. So, now let's hear some more teaching from this wonderful book. So, thank you, Brian. One of the roughest sea crossings I've ever had was on a ferry sailing from England to the Isle of Man, which lies between England and Ireland. It's a journey I've made many times, and I know the Isle of Man quite well. So I was interested to hear of two fishermen who'd spent the night clinging to the hull of their upturned boat on one of the ferry routes close by the Isle of Man. In fact, the two men were seen by the crew of a passenger ferry 13 miles off the Isle of Man. After being spotted drifting in the Irish Sea, they were rescued by helicopter. It was an Irish Coast Guard helicopter that was alerted and which winched the two men to safety before taking them to hospital in the island's capital. The ferry's captain described the rescue as a miracle. They weren't exactly on our route, he said, but my second officer was very observant. He told me he had spotted something in the sea. When we came closer, I could see it was an upturned boat. How thankful these two men must have been for such a sharp-eyed officer that night. It's another dramatic rescue by night that I now want to draw our attention to. Darius, the mightiest man on earth, can't sleep. Why? Because his conscience has been troubling him. It was what had happened during the day to a man called Daniel that now came back to trouble the king's conscience. We'll let the Bible book of Daniel the prophet give us all the background. It had pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
So the administrators went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So that was how those jealous princes had made trouble for Daniel. They'd no doubts at all as to what he would do. Neither did Daniel have any doubt, of course. At the usual hour, he opened his window toward Jerusalem, toward the temple especially, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, just as he'd always done. The wicked plotters had been watching him, and with great satisfaction they saw him making those prayers. But others were watching too. God on his throne was taking notice of Daniel on his knees. When King Darius heard how he'd been tricked and how he'd have to honour his own decree by throwing Daniel into the lion's den, the Daniel whom he honoured and respected and feared as a righteous man, he was sorry. And more than that, he was afraid. But trapped by his own decree, Darius ordered Daniel to be thrown into the den of lions. So the king gave the order, the Bible says, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, He said to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. How powerful God's voice is, even when it speaks through human conscience. To think that this King Darius, very likely the most powerful man in the world then, should be troubled in his mind about the fate of Daniel. In the whole of that vast empire, what was one individual? It was within the king's power to order the execution of one of his subjects in any part of the world. And perhaps he'd done that, and then sat down to a comfortable banquet and passed the night in peaceful, untroubled sleep. But on this occasion, there was no sleep and no rest and no peace in the heart of Darius. His conscience troubled him because he sentenced a righteous man to a cruel and shameful death. This must surely be one of the great triumphs of conscience. The great emperor, distraught and uneasy, standing there in the first grey light of the morning at the mouth of the den of lions. Could Daniel possibly have survived? Would his God have been equal to the task of saving him? That was the question he asked aloud when he came near the den. And to his immense joy and relief, he heard a voice answer from the other side. God had saved Daniel. Although Darius the king had wanted to help Daniel right from the start, the obstacle, of course, had been the fact that Daniel had broken this contrived law, the law that he, the king, had foolishly signed. It was a capital offence to break the law, and in those days the death penalty meant being put into a den with lions. So this had been the king's dilemma. He'd very much wanted to save Daniel, but on the other hand, the law could not be overlooked. There was no way out of this dilemma, so Daniel had been sent to the lion's den, where God rescued him. That story of the king, caught in that dilemma, seems to me to be an illustration of something deeper. You see, we've all broken God's law, his moral and righteous law, that's imprinted in our nature. The voice of our conscience agrees with the Bible's verdict when it says, All have sinned. And further, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. For God's own holiness, revealed in his law, demands that all wrongs must be punished. We don't hear much about punishment these days, but deep down we know it's right, if there's to be any real justice, that is. And God, the judge of all the earth, will do what's right. But at the same time, he wants to save us. He hates sin and yet loves the sinner. It's true that God is love and doesn't want anyone to be punished forever. But in his holy love, he can't overlook sin. So that's why Jesus came and died. In his death, he paid the wages of our sin. The death of Jesus on the cross was necessary to satisfy both God's desire to save us and to satisfy the law's requirements that stem from God's own holiness. Now God reveals his love by offering salvation to anyone who will receive it. It can only be received by faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
This is God's solution to the problem of sin. He calls on us to be sorry for our sins and to turn from them and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it could mean for you, please get in touch. You might like to study the programmes in this series with the help of a transcript booklet, and you can obtain it by requesting the title Knights of Old and ordering it by email or by post. So here's our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So many thanks for your company today. That's all we have time for. I hope you can join us again next week for another talk in this series. And now, on behalf of Brian, uh, David, our singers, and everyone else at Search for Truth, God bless, goodbye, and thank you for listening. We like you.